I want to start us this morning with uh, something that I think the students are probably familiar with because we've done something similar in youth group before. And typically when we do it with youth group, I make people stand up and move around and walk to other sides of the room, and we're not going to do that this morning because I didn't want to get angry messages afterwards. But I will ask you to interact a little bit. So this is just kind of an activity that I call which is better. So I will need you to get your arms and hands ready because I will need you to raise your hand when you decide which of these two things is better. All right? So these, these are, I, I spend a lot of time coming up with these. Coke or Pepsi? How many of you say Coke? Raise your hand. All right? How many of you say Pepsi? Man, I'm more of a Coke person. I'm sad there's, or more of a Pepsi person. I'm sad there's not more Pepsi people. All right, here's the next one. The book or the movie? Like the same story, but the book. How many say the book? Okay. How many say the movie? Okay. I just like that I can see the movie, so I, I prefer movies. Uh, this one's really controversial. Apple or Android? How many say Apple? How many say Android? Okay. And last one, this is a little different. Might have to think about this one for a second. Driving in a car or flying in a plane? All right, driving in a car. How many say driving in a car? And how many say flying in a plane? I prefer, I see two hands up for flying in the plane over there. I prefer flying in a plane just because I like looking out the window at the clouds. Now, obviously, these are uh, little tiny choices. You probably didn't even have to think very long to choose between them because you probably already knew your answer or just took a second and, and then you knew. But did you know that among those little questions, adults, the average adult, actually makes over 35,000 decisions a day. 35,000, so we'll count those in. That was like five decisions, and I don't know how many you've made before you came here this morning, but 35,000 decisions in a single day. We're constantly thinking through big and small choices and decisions throughout our day what to eat, what to, what to drink, what to wear, whether the book really is better than the movie. And when we receive like an invitation to go somewhere, like someone says, hey, are you doing anything Friday? Our automatic, maybe subconscious thought is, okay, so do I have anything better going on? No, okay, then yes, I can do that. And we're, we're always thinking about these kinds of things. In fact, a few months ago, I found a group on Facebook. It's literally called, a, a group that makes, helps you make small decisions. Because we have so many decisions to make in our day and in our lives, sometimes we just need someone to help us make a decision. And so you can post on that a picture or a couple pictures and you have people vote which one is better or which you should do. I mean, literally, it's little decisions like, I can't decide which soup to eat for lunch today. 
and you post it on there and people will, like hundreds of people will help you decide you can even put time sensitive i need to know now help me decide help me choose which of these options is better see because sometimes when we have so many choices it can be hard to figure out which is better because really under every single choice that we make every decision we make in a day the simple nature of a decision is deciding that one thing is better than another like that that's all a choice is that's all a decision is it's just deciding which one is better and sometimes choices are easy to make sometimes they're just insignificant like where am i going to go to eat after lunch after church today for lunch um, or coke or pepsi or whatever these are small choices they really don't affect a whole lot but some choices are more significant some choices uh, have greater consequences, greater uh, implications as a result of the choice that we choose to make. For example, when I was in high school, I was trying to decide what I wanted to do when I graduated, and I had kind of set my mind on two choices, Moody Bible Institute in Chicago and Indiana Wesleyan University. And going into like my junior year, I was dead set on Moody in Chicago because I love Chicago. It's my favorite US city. It was a little closer to my parents. There's just so much to do in Chicago. And I knew lots of people who'd gone to Moody. And so in my mind, that was the perfect school for me. And my parents said, you should look into some other options. I was like, well, I don't know why. I already know where I'm going to go, but okay. So, so I look into some other options, and I stumble across this school that I've never heard of called Indiana Wesleyan University. I didn't even know what a Wesleyan was. So I started looking into that. And uh, during my junior year spring break, I set up a visit to go to both of those schools. And as a result of that visit, for varying reasons, I decided that for me, Indiana Wesleyan was the better school. Not that Moody was in any way a bad choice, but for me, Indiana Wesleyan was where I, I wanted to go. But what I didn't know were the implications and the consequences that would come with that one choice. See, because I would end up moving out here to Indiana and going to Indiana Wesleyan. And, and my freshman year, I would start looking for a place to serve and call my church home. And I came across a church called Lakeview Wesleyan Church. And I started serving here, attending here on Sunday mornings while I was here at college. And I, I started uh, getting more and more involved with the church. And then eventually... I would meet this really handsome, wonderful man. I would fall madly in love with him. I would even decide to marry him. And then I would stay here in Marion and I'd start working here part-time and then working here full-time and living here in Marion. And all of that was consequences that came from one choice, choosing to attend Indiana Wesleyan University in Marion, Indiana. And I had no idea that all of those things would happen as a result of that one choice. See, that's a, that's a significant choice. It's got big consequences. It's got life-altering 
consequences in all the best ways. But when you break it down, the core of every choice, big or small or in between, is simply deciding which choice, which option, which outcome and consequence is better. Like that's, that's what it all boils down to. In the book of Mark, we see a glimpse into a moment of decision that would drastically change everything for a group of fishermen. And it required them to decide whether or not the invitation that was being extended to them was actually better than what they had. In fact, if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 1, and we're going to look at these, this passage that was just read for us a little bit ago. In this story, we see that these fishermen had a lot, and yet they chose to leave it all behind. And you might say, well, Jessica, they didn't really have that much. Like, we know about fishermen in Jesus' day. We know that, like, fishermen wasn't, wasn't really a great, lucrative kind of occupation. Like, okay, it, it, it brought in an income. It was a livelihood. But it wasn't anything like, whoa, fishermen. Like, we know fishermen, Jessica. But if you look at this passage, they actually had a lot. They actually had a, a pretty good living just based off of these verses that we see. See, look at verse 16. It says, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Now, pausing there, they have a family or at least they have each other. They have resources, they've got a boat, they've got a net, they've got jobs, identities, they're, they're fishermen. That already is more than a lot of people have. And then if you look into verses 19 and 20, and going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Now, these guys have it made. Like, these guys are, are the, the popular fishermen that probably all the other fishermen, like, saw them floating by and kind of give them the side eye. Because these guys are, are pretty well off when it comes to the fishermen business. Because it says that they, when they left, they left their father with the hired hands. They left their father with the people that they'd, that, that they'd hired on to help. So at least this business for them is, is well enough that they could bring on some help. So they've got a boat, they've got nets, and they've got some extra people in the family business. And not only that, it says that they're mending their nets. So they were presumably done for the day, which to me says that maybe they had caught enough at this point to feel like, all right, we're good. We feel comfortable with our catch. Let's go ahead and mend the nets. Otherwise, we would see them, like the guys down the road, Simon and Andrew, still out there casting their nets, trying to pull in a catch. And so this is a pretty good little family business that they've got going. They've got jobs, responsibilities, 
relationships. So what could Jesus possibly offer that was better? Or maybe put a different way, why did these men believe that following Jesus, accepting his invitation, was worth leaving everything else so that they could become his disciples? And this is a question that, as I was preparing for this message, I realized I've, I've kind of thought through a lot. What was it that made those early disciples choose to become disciples? Because underneath these jobs and responsibilities and relationships that these guys have are some more kind of subtle things that, that we don't like to give up. Things like security and comfort and rhythm and, and familiarity. And if we're honest, we don't like to let go of those things. And then on top of that, what Jesus was inviting these guys to was a little bit unclear, like maybe a little bit sketchy. Because first of all, he says, okay, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. So one, who are you? Like, okay, Jesus, who, who are you though? We don't know you. Yes, we know you're the, the new rabbi on the, on the street and, and you're kind of coming into town and stirring up the pot, but you right now don't have any street cred. We don't know you. And then two, what on earth does it mean to fish for men? Like really, think about this. He says, I will make you fishers of men. Like, is there something that this Jesus guy knows is going on in the bottom of the sea that we should be aware of fishing for men? And then three, even if I knew what fishers of men were, Jesus isn't even promising that right away. He says, I will make you become fishers of men. And so, so it's like he's not saying you are fishers of men like right now. You're going to have to wait a little bit to become fishers of men. It's not just an instantaneous invitation and call. And so tied up in this whole invitation that Jesus is extending to these guys is a lot of uncertainty. So why risk it all? Why, why risk it at all? And if we're honest, isn't this the question that we ask ourselves? Like, why would I risk it? When faced with what Jesus is calling us to do, and we find ourselves standing on the path to the cross, and we look around to what God is, is calling us to, we're standing on this end and we're like, well, this is comfortable. I know this. I'm familiar with this. This is secure. I'm good here. And, and the path up there is, is pretty unknown. I don't, I don't know everything along the way, and actually there looks like some dangerous things along the way. I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. It's an uphill path. I don't know if it's really worth it. And that 
choice when we're facing the cross requires us to look around at everything else that we have and choose if what Jesus is offering us is actually better. Answering the call of discipleship, following Jesus, requires us to look around at what we have and what we know and decide that whatever Jesus is offering is better. That, that's, that's what a choice is. So how do we decide? I mean, because I don't think this is a choice that we can throw up on Facebook and have people vote on or, or take a poll, raise of hands. How do we know? How do we decide that this, all that Jesus is offering is better? How do these fishermen in the story, how do we know that what Jesus offers is better? I want you to think back to those little insignificant choices I had you make at the beginning. How did you know the right choice? Like, how did you come to decide that Pepsi is, in fact, better than Coke? Or how did you come to make the decision that the movie is really better than the book? Like, how did you decide that? How did you come to that conclusion? It required one of two things for you to, to decide on that for yourself. You either had to, one, trust what other people had told you, or two, try it for yourself. You had to trust what other people had told you, or try it for yourself. See, somewhere along the way, someone told you that, hey, you've read the book, but have you seen the movie? I, I'm telling you, you got to watch the movie. Someone told you that. And then at that point, you had to either decide, okay, this is a trustworthy person. I'm going to trust what they say. I'm going to trust their testimony about this. Or you had to actually watch the movie for yourself and decide, oh my goodness, it is so much better. Like you had to do one of those things, either trust or try. Or maybe a mix of the two, where it started off as someone's testimonial that this is, this is better, and, and I, I swear to you this is the best way, and, and then you go off and you decide to try. But you had to either trust or try or do a little bit of both. And when it comes to what Jesus has to offer, the same is true. What Jesus is inviting us to, what he's calling us to do, we won't fully realize that everything that Jesus has to offer is, in fact, far and beyond better than anything that we could dream of, unless we either trust from the stories and testimonies and experiences of others or actually try following him ourselves. We have to either trust or try God out or some sort of mix of the two.
I love the way that scripture captures this idea, and I, I love pointing out these little moments because they just show that God is working. Uh, this passage that, that Pastor Chris used earlier that I already had in my message, but Psalm 34, it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Or another version puts it this way. Find out for yourself how good the Lord is. Find out for yourself. See, essentially what this passage is saying is that the Lord is good. God is good. His plans and paths and commands and calls are good. In fact, they're, they're better than good. They're best. But taste and see for yourself. In Peter, a.k.a. Simon, uh, who was one of those disciples earlier, he went on to actually lead the church. He encourages in his letter, 1 Peter, he tells people, put aside malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. And he says, long for pure spiritual milk. Long for the alternative that Christ offers. And then he says, if indeed that you have tasted that the Lord is good. See, both of these authors in the New Testament and the Old Testament are essentially saying, we know this, but taste and see. Find out for yourself. I kind of think of it this way. I can tell you, in my own words, that the best meal on the planet is a plate of homemade chicken enchiladas with a side of homemade beans and a side of, of rice with diced tomatoes and a little bit of garlic and salt and pepper and a little bit of a special ingredient I won't tell you because it's a secret. And you cook it up to perfection and, and you put that on there with the chicken enchiladas and the beans and the rice and a little wedge of, of soft Mexican cheese and then you drizzle it over the top of it, just a little bit of crema. And I can tell you that that is far better than anything you will get at Culver's after church today. See, I can tell you that, and you can sit there and choose, just hearing that description, you can say, that does sound pretty good. And you can just choose to believe it, or you can try it. Like, you can do one of those two options. You can just believe that obviously I'm right, that is the best meal in the world, or you can try it for yourself and then decide, yes, you're right, that is the best meal in the world, but you got to do one or the other or both. Or I think of LeVar Burton on the PBS show Reading Rainbow. There's this part at the end of the show where he would always talk about some good books for kids, and, and then he would say, uh, but you don't have to take my word for it. And then it launched into these kids who had presumably read the book and were talking about how good it was, and then they would encourage the kids to go read them. See, the fishermen in this story, in Mark, Simon, a.k.a. Peter, 
Andrew, James, and John, looked around at the life that they had and chose to leave their nets, their jobs, their security and comfort and everything else, and they set it all aside because they trusted that whatever this Jesus guy had to offer was somehow better than what they had. And then on top of that, they decided to actually try out Jesus for themselves, to see if there was anything to following him. And they were in no way disappointed because Jesus would give them a new purpose, a role in his plan, a relationship with the God of the universe and the promise of life everlasting. But it required them to trust and then actually try what Jesus was offering them. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. See, the question for us today is, do you truly believe that whatever Jesus has to offer is actually better? Even if you don't know everything that he has ahead for you, even if what you have seems pretty good, even if actually experiencing that better doesn't happen right this moment. Do you believe that what Jesus offers and the choice to follow after him is in fact better? Last week, Pastor Chris talked about how the journey to the cross Choosing to follow in Christ's footsteps is not always easy, but it's always best. It often requires difficult things of us, but it is always best. And so this morning as we close, I want to ask you to do something that for some of you might be a little bit difficult. And it's kind of a, a two-part challenge. But on your way in, you should have received a card that looks like this, and it just says on it, for me, choosing Jesus is better than. And it's got a little hashtag on the bottom. It says, uh, hashtag LWC choosing Jesus. And in just a moment, I want you to write on there, what is Jesus better than? Like for you personally, maybe for you choosing Jesus is better than your own plans for your life. Or maybe choosing Jesus is better than a relationship that you thought would answer all your questions and fix all your problems. Or maybe choosing Jesus is better than a certain lifestyle you used to have or, or a habit. But whatever it is that you said, even if I have to walk away from these things, following Jesus is better. I want you to write that on your card. And if you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, I'm not sure if this thing that I'm thinking of is actually okay to walk away from. I don't know if Jesus is actually better than this thing. Maybe that's an area where God is trying to point out something in your life that you have subconsciously decided is actually better than Jesus. 
And maybe he's actually wanting you to surrender that to him so that you can more fully run after him and all that he desires for your life. So that's the first part, to just think of that thing that for you is worth leaving behind in order to follow Jesus because he is better. And write that on the card. But the second part is a little bit more difficult. So you'll notice on the corner of that card, that little hashtag, LWC following Jesus. And what I want to challenge you to do this week is actually use this card as a mini testimony. And so I want you to take a picture of that card after you've written on it. And if you've got social media, I want you to post a picture of that card onto your social media. And you might say, well, why would I do that? Because if you have social media, Facebook or Instagram, you have a platform to tell other people why following Jesus is worth it. Why your choice to follow Jesus was better than any other option available to you. You have a platform to invite others to either trust or to taste and see the goodness of God. And just like at some point you had to choose to either trust the word of others or try God out for yourself, your testimony through this little card, can be an opportunity to speak into the lives of people who haven't yet decided following Jesus is better. And I guarantee that there are people on your social media that follow you that will see that picture who haven't decided that. Or maybe you've never decided that Jesus is, in fact, better than anything else. And you want to post a picture with this card as your way of saying, today I am choosing Jesus over anything else. Because I believe that Jesus is truly better. And if you don't have social media, tuck this card in your pocket and pull it out this week to actually tell someone, like face to face, why you chose to follow Jesus. Or if you're really brave, do both. Post a picture of this card and then share it with someone in your life who doesn't know that Jesus is actually better. See, because if we truly believe, if we truly believe that Jesus is better than anything else, why would we not want to tell others about him? Why would we not want to tell others about him? And so I'm going to close us in a word of prayer. And then I just want you to spend some time writing on this card and praying over how God would have you testify to the fact that he is truly better than anything else this world has to offer. And so let's pray. Lord, you are better. What you have to offer, the invitation that you extend to us is better than anything else this world could offer. Lord, forgive us for the ways where we've chosen other things over you. And Lord, convict our hearts that you are better. You are good, 
You are better. You are best. And so, Lord, give us the courage to testify to that this week. Because nothing in this world could compare to you and your goodness. You are better. That's in your name we pray. Amen.